0: Hello, and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, one stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's Brother from TSN's Overdrive. Hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. We'll leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. And guys, today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com. Tell them that Locked On sent you. All right, it is draft day, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to be joined by the one, the only, Tony Ferrari. Tony, it's been so long since we've heard your voice here on the Locked On Leafs Pod. Welcome back! Thanks for uh, thanks for joining in. Yeah, no problem. I had to
1: I had to cry a little bit because of the Leafs and, and their terrible <laughs> playoffs yet again. So yeah, I'm I'm over crying now, and we can talk draft. It'll be fun.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, the Maple Leafs do not have a first-round pick that was given up in the Nick Felino deal, which you know now rumblings that he's going to end up out in Minnesota playing with his brother uh, Marcus. There's been a lot of Leaf fans groaning and complaining about Kyle Dubas of late, and you know the fact that they gave up a first-round pick for a couple of weeks of an injured player, Nick Felino, and now they've got nothing to look forward to for uh, for Friday night in the draft, but. There's tons of stuff to look forward to and Tony, um, let's start with the top because Owen Power has evaded your top spot all season long in your draft rankings, despite being the number one on a lot of other draft rankings. Has he finally made his way up there in your final uh, in your final spot, or you still leaning elsewhere?
1: I'm still leaning elsewhere personally. I still have him at six on my board. He, he I think this in it's not even a factor of him not being the best prospect. It's a factor of I think there's eight guys, probably nine guys, that can realistically be the best player in this draft just in this top kind of range. It's really wide open, and I think Owen Power certainly deserves the credit for being up there. But yeah, I, I do see a lot of factors in this game that kind of worry me in terms of some of the, the readiness for the NHL. And there seems to be a lot of people wanting to push him there. And he, he said he wants to go back to Michigan, Michigan, And I hope he does, because if he does, I think that'll be a big boon for his, his draft or his development. I, I think he's a guy that is going to need that extra year because there, there are little things in his game that, that worry me. He's got that top speed. He's got that excellent skating and the size, obviously. But he's got some of that Casperi captain effect, and I know at least fans know him well—a <laughs> guy that likes to fly up the ice, end up in the corner, and go, "What do I do now?" And Owen Power does that as a defenseman sometimes. And you're like, "Okay, you like that puck rushing ability, but like, you want him to do something with it." And sometimes he doesn't. And the other thing is his defensive game isn't as refined as some people like to think it is. I think there's a lot of leaning with his stick, especially defending the rush. He's not—he's on his toes a little bit more than his heels, and you kind of worry about that because a guy with some speed or a guy with a little bit of shiftiness can beat him. And we saw that a few times this year. And the the final thing that really kind of gets me with his game is, is that he, he has this weird like panic threshold. That's very low behind his own net. Uh, a lot of times when he's going back to the retrieve a puck, He'll pin it to the boards and wait for someone to come help him, despite the fact that it's a 5'8 five, five, guy on his back that's pressuring him, and he's a six foot six defenseman. So I, I think there's some little refinements. I don't think any of that stuff is unfixable, and that's the thing. So I still do think he's going to be an excellent prospect. Buffalo's probably going to draft him first overall. I've said that all year, but I, I think he's going to be a guy that can be that top-pairing guy. I think is a good spot for him because Darlene is the number one power doesn't have to be the number one guy there. And I think there was going to be pressure on him to do that. And now there's not. And I think he kind of fits into that number two role a lot more, a lot more clearly.
0: I really liked his game of what I saw from him at the World Championships. Like coming in as a draft eligible player, it's it's usually a tough task for these kids to really make uh, to make headway here in these in these playoffs or in the in the World Championships. But this is somebody who game by game gained the trust of Gerard Gallant, and by the end of it, I think was playing like twenty five minutes a game. And this is where I, I saw this. I said, okay. You can he can play against men. He's doing it now. And if there were any people, like I guess my question to you is, did you change your stance at all watching him play in the World Championships and saying, okay, he can get it done against really top tier talent?
1: It, it did kind of lean a, a bit more favorably, but there were still a lot of the same issues that we've seen all year. And and like I said, there are little things that can kind of once the game gets going at a faster pace over a longer period of time, then it gets a little bit more difficult. So I, I think could he play in a shortened season or a, a world championships for sure? And could he play in the NHL next year? Yeah, I think he could if you can kind of shelter him, put him on a third pairing and not, not have to face him against guys like Crosby and McDavid and, and Matthews and guys like that. So I think he could play in the NHL next year. I, I, I've said it all year. Is it the best thing for his development? Probably not because you could end up with Tyler Myers or you could end up with a Dougie Hamilton. And, and which one of those two guys do you really want? I, I think I'd probably rather the Dougie Hamilton. So Let that kid develop. Let him get everything under him and let him refine those little things so that when he does do the big things, they're even better.
0: So overall, we've been spoiled the last few seasons with some really, really solid players coming out of the draft that are are ready and roaring to go for the NHL. Doesn't quite seem to be the case this year. How many of these draft-eligible prospects would you say are NHL ready right now? Zero. Really? Uh, I, I've
1: said it all year. I, I think you could put a guy like Owen Power in the NHL and he could hold his head above water on a third pairing. Matthew Benares, I think, is probably the most ready. And I think you could put him on a third line and go, just, get, just don't die out there, please. And he could do that. But to get these guys at their full potential, I think you, you want these guys. They're right at that precipice of... If they go back another year, this is when they can truly dominate, especially at the college ranks. Those two guys, Owen Power and Matthew Bennears on the same team in Michigan. If you can get them to go back to the the NCAA and absolutely dominate and then come in at the end of the season, maybe after Michigan's done. I think that's a much more feasible path for both those two players that can aid in their development
0: and really get them going before they have to hit the NHL. So, like you say, you've got Owen Power at 6th in your rankings. Um, who are some of the other guys here at the top of the draft here? And, and and what really are the ceilings of these guys and all these players who are right now in the running for number 1? Because I'm hearing there's, you know, Owen Power is the likely player to be selected at number 1, but there's probably three I'm hearing, maybe a fourth guy sneaking in there at this point, but really three guys right now who is being seriously considered by Buffalo. Maybe if you could go through, through, Uh, the the, those players and talk about maybe what their ceiling could be.
1: Yeah, I think Matthew Benares is the first guy and I'll name him off the bat because he is the number one player on my board. And I think the ceiling with this kid is that Dylan Larkin, number one B center. I don't think he's ever going to be a true number one, but I think he can be a really good one B or if he's your second line guy, I think you're you're laughing because he's going to be really good. He pushes play positively, consistently. He's a two way uh, beast. He's excellent defensively, so smart. And he's a guy that I think can be that Dylan Larkin, uh, a, a Nazem Kadri during his good seasons when he's not necessarily hitting guys in the playoffs and taking their heads off and
0: stuff. But I heard he's a guy that I, I isn't Craig Button uh, using a a Bo Horvat comparable as well.
1: Yeah, Bo Horvat's a really good one, right? That that kind of impact. A guy that probably you're not going to love as your number one center, but you're laughing if he's your number two. Like, he's that co- kind of quasi guy, the 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 one B I, I like to call it. And then the other guy I think Buffalo is considering is William Eklund, who's the Swedish winger, plays in your garden, plays with Alexander Holtz, the New Jersey Devils pick from last year. And there were so many times when those two played together on the same line where it was William Eklund driving the play. It was William Eklund making the the thing the game easier for Alexander Holtz to play. And, and Alexander Holtz has that elite shot. He's got that crazy upside offensively. but. William Eklund is a very smart player. He's a silky smooth playmaker. There's been comparisons to Nicholas Backstrom even. And and while I think that's maybe a little lofty because it's a Hall of Fame player we're talking about, but I I think William Eklund has some of those same skills that we see from a guy like Nick Backstrom. Uh, He's an elite transition player. I think in transition, he reminds me so much of William Nylander. He's able to just if he has the puck on his stick, you can almost guarantee he's getting it into the offensive zone. What he does with it from there is a different question, but I think it's it's a really interesting thing where this guy has such a good playmaking skill set. He's got such a good ability to transition the puck, and I think he's got a sneaky good shot. He scored, I think, two or three overtime goals off the rush, just streaking down the wing and beating the goalie clean. So I, I think he's got sneaky goal scoring upside too, and it, it, he's my number two guy on the board, and I think the other player Buffalo is like loosely considering is Brant Clark who's a defenseman that people are either really high or really low on because he's got a bit of an ugly skating stride. But man, his mobility in all four directions is really impressive. He's a guy that I'm sure you've seen a ton, Mikey, here in Ontario. He's a guy that understands the offensive game at an elite, elite level. A guy that I, I just love watching play the game because he just picks apart defenses. He's got some lapses defensively and stuff that he needs to work on, but he's got all the tools, basically. And that skating stride is the one thing that you're worried about. I, I think that's something you can clean up because it's not like his mobility is actually affected all that much by it, aside from maybe being a little bit slow on the top speed side of things.
0: Yeah, Brant Clark is is an interesting one. I, I mean, I haven't heard uh, much chatter about him potentially being uh, considered at number one, but he's he's one of those my guys, and I only say that because I got to watch him like a few years back at the, the Canada Winter Games. Um, so, I, you know, as like a 15, 16-year-old, I was able to watch him, and I looked and I said, this is an NHL talent. This kid is going to grow up to be in the NHL. Like he is, he was bigger than everybody else. He was so smart when he could move the puck, and, and you just knew that that was going to happen. A couple of years later, he's now a top ten uh, NHL prospect, which is fantastic to see. And uh, so it looks like I, I somewhat know what I'm talking about. Clearly not as refined as the great Tony Ferrari, which is why I bring you on to not to chat about these guys and not myself. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that the Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time only? Right now, they've got Grasshopper Cookie. It is phenomenal, and when you talk to a Bilt Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about all of their favorites. If you don't know the Bilt Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. You got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. So there's something for everyone, and know this, my favorite favorite flavor the peanut butter brownie it is fantastic if you haven't tried all the flavors you can get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors that we provide and not only are the built bar flavors the best tasting but they're healthy too they're great for the health conscious guy or gal but also good for the keto diet most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein just 130 calories only four grams of sugar and only four grams of net Carbs, order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. And get it now. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code Locked fifteen. You'll get fifteen percent off your first order. Use promo code Locked fifteen for fifteen percent off at builtbar.com dot um, But William Eklund uh, is 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 a, a real interesting one. Somebody who I like uh, I, I like quite a bit. I think that he's got like unbelievable hockey sense too. He just knows what to do uh, when he's out there on the ice. And I've heard rumblings that Buffalo really likes this kid. They may not like him enough to select him over Owen Power at number 1, but if you know a trade presents themselves at number 3 where he's still on the on the clock and he's still out there on the board, that is kind of the spot where they say okay, they call up Anaheim and then Jack uh, Jack Eichel becomes out there on the uh uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? They, they potentially trade make chip. a deal. Yeah, that. thank you. <laughs> Out there on the block, it potentially becomes a trade chip for them to try and swing that deal and bring in a power and an Eklund. If they could do that, if they do make that trade, whether it's bringing in Drysdale um, or Zgris plus that third overall pick, would that be worth it for you? Is Eklund that much of a talent where you could justify moving on from a cornerstone piece like Jack Eichel if you're Buffalo?
1: I think it is a trade you have to consider, especially if you're getting a Zegers or a Drysdale back. I think you'd prefer to get the Z, the Zegers back because you want to get that center, the guy that you can kind of, not necessarily replace Jack Eichel in the lineup, but a guy that you can put in somewhat of that same role up near the top of your lineup. And And then getting William Eklund as well, you pair those two together. And I think that's going to be such a fun line or you put those two with a, an elite goal scorer and you're laughing because of their playmaking ability. And I think it'd be something you have to consider. I think it's something that, would be a little bit more realistic than what people probably hope that Eichel is going to get, because let's be honest, every time one of these stars gets traded, it is never worth it. It is never a deal where the team trading the star is, is coming out with a ton of value. So if you can come out of the trade with, with Eklund in in Zegras or Eklund Eklund in Drysdale, I I think that's as good as Buffalo is going to get. And I think even that
0: might be a dream scenario. Let's keep going down your board a little bit more, and I'm taking a look at Mason McTavish, who's sitting in your top 10. But He's a guy who's starting to creep up on a lot of draft boards. I saw Bob McKenzie in his latest rankings had him at number four. Um, what about this guy's game is something that teams are seeing as translatable to the NHL to the point where now he went from you know maybe an outside of the top nine, outside the top 10 looking guy, to being a top five consideration? I think the big thing with him this year is how much his skating has improved and how much his mobility has improved.
1: Because coming into the year, yeah, he was a a guy at the start of the year where a lot of people had him at the end of the first round, and myself included. But when he went over to uh, Switzerland, you were like, okay, let's see what he does. And those first few games were a little rough. You could tell he was adjusting, but once he hit his stride over there, it was like a completely different player was hitting the ice. He had that physicality and that, that frame and in, in the shot that he had last year that made him a top fr- first round prospect. But then he had this mobility in the motor and in the cycle game that, that all of a sudden appeared and he was just, better at it than every player he seemed to go up against whether it's at the swiss level against men or at the u18s he was absolutely dominant in that aspect i i think teams look at this guy and they go all right this is a sure thing we're getting an nhl player here whether or not he's a a, a third liner if he kind of busts out or he's a, a really high-end second liner who can dominate on the power play as well i think that's a guy that you you really value here and with, with the improved mobility, the improved skating and, and, and the fact that he is incorporating that physicality in all aspects of his game and the cycle up the net front with combined with that scoring talent that he has, that, that's a fun player to add to your system. And like the playmaking, there are questions with that. And, and there are always probably going to be questions with that with McTavish because I don't know if he's necessarily a natural playmaker. But if he's a guy that can affect the game in front of the net, or affect the game from distance with his shot and, and win battles on the cycle. I think every NHL
0: team's laughing at that because a team like Toronto would love to have someone like that on the team. In conversation with Tony Ferrari, our resident NHL draft expert, our draft scout here, uh, tell me a little bit about these goaltenders. It seems like uh, it's a really strong goalie class, at least up at the top, with Casa and Jesper Volstadt. And I know you've been really big on that Swedish kid as well. So tell me a little bit about both of these guys and whether or not you think that we'll see both of them come off, which is supposedly it could be as early as both of them coming out in the top half of the first round.
1: Yeah, I think this is going to be a really unique year for goalies because I do think Jesper Wallstedt is this elite-level goaltender who's I think he's as sure a thing as you're going to see with a goaltender over the next few years, especially after we're seeing Askarov and Knight from the last couple of years. We've had a nice three-year run on really high-end goalie prospects, and, and Wallstedt is right in there. I think Sebastian Coase is maybe a, a little step behind those guys, but outside of those three I don't know if there's been a better goalie prospect in the last three or four years so he's another talent that you're looking at and you're like man this guy could be a is going to be a first round talent as well and I'll start with Wallstep because he's this technically sound almost robotic and and that's not in a negative way in any sense goaltender who just sits in his net and and understands how to read the ice he gets to his spots and and a lot of people question his athleticism and and a lot of times I go well when was the last time you had to see him make an athletic save? And they're like, oh, well, we didn't. And, and that's because he's just so quick and so good on his feet. Uh, he's he's an elite-level skater on his feet as a goaltender. He moves around so well. Um, his lateral post-to-post integration is, is excellent. I, I just love watching this kid play because it's like watching goalie school. It's really, really good. I think there are still areas he's got to work on. He's not quite as big as Sebastian Costa, but he's still got good size. And, and there's a lot of kind of going on with – Man, this kid played at the Swiss men's level, and and there hasn't been any goalies that really played this much at the Swiss men's level in their draft year. And he had a great start; his first 15 games, he had a 930 save percentage almost. And you're looking at that at the men's level, and you go, "How is this kid not going to be a top five pick?" And the last few games of his season, he did struggle a little bit, and in that save percentage did come down, but. He, that's after they brought in a third goalie who was kind of taking over the workload because he was this veteran who's been a, a, an SHL star for years and, and Walsh that kind of took a backseat to that and within consistent playing time came a little bit more inconsistent play but I, I think Jesper Walsh that's an elite level goaltender I, if, I'm a, if I'm a team he's in consideration at number one for me and I'm, I'm talking about him at every pick until he gets taken because while I don't necessarily say he should go number one I, I do think he should be going in this top 10 uh, I think he's the best of the three big goalies that came in the last few years and now we get to Sebastian Kosa, who's the six foot six, just monster of a goaltender. He's got a ton of athleticism, but he's very technically sound as well. I think the one area of his game that I question is sometimes the aggression that he has coming out of his crease, especially to the sides uh, below the dots. I think he's very aggressive going on off to those the corners and, and trying to cut down angles that way. But that leaves some of the back area open. So if they can get a pass across, then, then he's vulnerable. But as a six foot six goaltender, it is not hard to get back to the other side of the net because you're <laughs> a monster and, and he does it quite well. So I think this is a kid that people are looking at and go, man, he has the size. He has the athleticism. He's pretty technically sound as well. What What is the ceiling for this kid? So I think there's two goaltenders here in Jesper Wallstedt and, and Sebastian Kosa, who should be top 20 picks, top 15 picks. And I'm not going to be shocked if they do go that high, but they are goalies. Every year, we, the last couple of years, is Bencher Knight going to go in the top 10? He goes just outside. Is, is Yaroslav Oskarov in the top 10? Same thing. So we're asking that with Jesper Wallstead. We're asking, is, is Sebastian Costa going to be top 10? Is he going to be top 20? I, I think realistically, you could see both guys go at like 10 and 20, and, and you wouldn't question it at all. I think both guys are going to go pretty high in this draft.
0: Yeah, a couple of spots like early on in the draft where I've seen Walspat uh, has been mocked to. Detroit at 6 is an interesting one that seems to have some interest. Um, and then Ottawa at 10 also has some interest at at, at both. Uh, I, I've seen Casa has been mocked to him when you see wallstat go earlier, but also wallstat has been mocked there as well, and I mean, both of those two goaltenders, if that's the case, and if that's how it goes, where one of those two teams end up with one of these uh, elite tendies, that'll be tough for the Maple Leafs going forward, uh, having to try and score on these two mammoths, uh, big-time goalies, so, you know, from a Leafs perspective, hopefully that is not the case, and these two goalies get drafted know, somewhere, somewhere out west. Maybe let's hope, maybe San Jose takes them at, like, eight, we don't gotta worry about it unless we're in the Stanley Cup final (laughs) yeah that'd be nice I like I I think
1: the 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 first spot for me is is, like you said Detroit but I think LA and San Jose are both teams that I think could could target either goalie there and I I, even maybe there's a surprise and we see Detroit take Wallstead and one of those other two teams kind of panic and go you know what we need that goalie of the future because Martin Jones isn't doing it Aiden Hill is is Aiden Hill which is fine and and then in LA Jonathan Quick uh, Cal Patterson do we do we need that goalie of the future? And I think both those teams could consider it. And then like you said, Ottawa at 10. And as we go down the draft, I think teams are going to start taking more risks. And you could see some team that has a, a decent goalie kind of maybe take one of these guys if they one of them reach in the twenties.
0: In conversation with Tony Ferrari, all right, who are some of your guys that we have not yet discussed? You always have a couple of a uh, couple of team, a couple of players that always seem to be the apple of your eye. Who who is are those players in the twenty twenty one NHL draft? All right, I'll give you my guy in the top ten, and, and this guy isn't in the top ten on everyone's list, and that's Fabian LeSal.
1: I think he's he plays with such an incredible amount of pace, the, the Swedish winger he's a little bit undersized reminds me a lot of Lucas Raymond in terms of his frame and the way he kind of plays, but he has so much more speed than, than a guy like Lucas Raymond. This kid is the fastest skater in the draft. I think he might be the best skater as a forward in the draft as well. And he played at the, at the SHL level this year. So his production was very, very low because there was a times where I remember watching games and I was like, well, I'm glad I watched that whole game for a minute and a half of Fabian Liseau." And the, the, you struggle at the, the SHL level to do anything when you only get in a couple minutes or four minutes in a game. So, the, the tools that this kid has when we saw him at the world under 18s he was a monster he was able to dominate at times and and just push defense back with his speed uh regularly and and, and i love a guy like that and, and anytime you can kind of combine skill pace and just his aggressiveness on cutting to the net he's not afraid of getting to the net and not afraid of attacking a, a a bigger defender kind of going right at him and on my board i have him one spot ahead of Owen power and it was really a debate for me. And I went, you know what? If these two players were going up against each other, Fabian Lysell's streaking down the wing and Owen Powers defending him, what's going to happen? And, and I go, you know what? Owen Powers probably going to lean forward, lean that stick out, and is going to make a move inside or get in tight with him and then just beat him to the inside. I think Fabian Lee sells a guy that can do that with his speed, with his skill. So he is a, a guy that is in my top five and he's been t- in my top five pretty much all year. And it's not necessarily a popular opinion, but one of the guys a little bit further down I, I love is Ayrton Martino. Uh, he played in the o- OJHL last year, uh, went to the BCHL for the preseason this year. They sh- closed up shop because of the pandemic. And then he went down to the USHL in Omaha and he was just an absolute force. He had over I think, 58 points in 37 games, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just a monster in Omaha his offensive game is ridiculous he, he's just so skilled so lethal with the puck on his stick he, he's such a creative passer there's so many times you see him make passes off balance or make passes through traffic or across his body that you're like okay like any other player you're gonna question hey maybe you don't do that but he does it consistently see and he does it accurately every time it, it's really fun to watch him play uh the one area of his game is is defensively and in you see him fly out of the offensive or defensive zone at times at five on five. And you're like, Oh, what are you doing? And I've talked to him a couple of times this year and, and that's just Omaha's system. They like to have a winger break early to try to kind of push the pace real fast. And, and the reason I questioned it was because he's one of their best penalty killers. He might be my favorite penalty killer in this entire draft, despite the fact that this five on five defense is completely atrocious. This <laughs> kid is able to score shorthanded goals. He, his anticipation and in, in aggression and pressuring guys in the neutral zone is fantastic. Like I, I, I asked him straight up. I was just like, why don't you do that at five and five? And he's like, we like to push the pace offensively, so one of our wingers is always fleeing the zone, and, and I'm always the guy that's doing it. So now, that's kind of why his five on five game suffers defensively. But man, this is a kid that I think has all the tools. He's at 18 on my board. I don't think I've seen him very much in the first round, even on much board. So it, it's really interesting for me to see where a guy like this goes because he is a guy that I, I've kind of stuck my neck out for this year.
0: Yeah, and, and that's 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 such a great little nugget that you pulled out there, and like that just kind of speaks to how you know interviewing prospects and like being able to talk to these guys really does play into a lot of things right like it's not all just about what you're seeing and what you're seeing on the stat on the stat sheet and also what you're seeing on uh, you know on film sometimes you have a chance to chat with some guys you'll also pick up on some nuggets and start to understand some of the some of the habitual stuff that you consider knocks then you start to understand them and then you say you know what we can work with this like if this is just a mindset based on a systematic play you know if we put him in our system and we know that he is responsibly when he, he needs to be when he knows he has to be this could work and like that is it that those are the type of players that I think when when scouts do their due diligence when they go to the games live and they have a chance to speak to players afterwards or they get on, the, on a Skype call with these kids and figure out these problems uh, kind of like you did yourself that's how you find those diamonds in the rough and, and it sounds like this could be one of those players who maybe you know you're suggesting you can get in the second round but realistically maybe should have been first round talent if you had all of the information appropriate to you.
1: Yeah, and I think another factor for him is in the USHL, people pay attention to two teams, the Chicago Steel and the US National Underdevelopment Team. Yep, Omaha is a a team that people probably didn't know existed, let's be honest. so It's hard to kind of get that that the views on a guy like that. He is older for the draft class as well, so there is that knock on him, but when you're able to kind of blow up the OJHL the way he did, he was dominant in the BCHL preseason, then he went down to the USHL, and he was a force every single game you're like, all right, like this kid's good. Like he's going to Clarkson university next year. So he's going to be going to the uh, collegiate route. So he's got time to develop as well. And let's be honest, the collegiate route is a great spot for guys to develop their defensive game and develop that responsibility. So a guy like him going to college for a couple of years, I think would be an ideal situation. And, and like you said, if you get him in the second round, he's, he's been my sneaky leafs target for
0: basically half the season this year. Oof if he could drop all the way to fifty seven, so that's the guy if he's on the board at fifty seven, that's that's a player that you think is a must get for the Leafs. I am yelling at my screen. I'm I'm yelling <laughs> to Kyle Dubas. I'm I'm
1: finding somebody on my phone that has his phone number so I can call him and tell him. But yes, yeah, like Ayrton Martino, I think, is a guy that I think realistically he could fall because he's a 5'11 winger, 168 pounds. So you're like, okay, he's a little undersized. He's older for the draft class. He played in Omaha in the USHL. And before this, his only track record was the OJHL, which is Junior A. And, and let's be honest, that gets degraded. So there, there's reasons that he could fall.
0: But man, the talent on this kid, I, I just love him. Just taking a look now, it looks like uh, Scott Wheeler has him as ranked as his thirty. 30- first player and uh, so that would be literally right at the final uh, there's 32 picks this year actually actually no there's only 31 Except because of
1: arizona there's
0: only 31 because of arizona exactly so scott wheeler has him at 31 in his rankings um and then uh, let's see where pranman has him in i'm sure he is probably similar i cannot find On, him, uh, which means he must elite be prospects
1: he's at 48 uh, Craig Button has him at
0: 52. Uh Bob McKenzie has him at 48. He's at 75 uh, for Corey Pronman. 75. Yeah, so
1: there, there's room for him to get to that spot. Like I, I think it's a realistic option for the Leafs at 58. I, I think he's a guy that, like I said, there there's a ton of reasons that he would fall just on not being noticed, basically. So if he he is a guy that gets there. I think he's he's the kind of guy that Kyle Dubas looks at and goes this is the kind of player that we like and and we've seen him draft guys just like this before.
0: Yeah, and he likes to go the college route. Right? He he likes to yep to get those guys who are going to college, especially in, in in the middle rounds. RockAuto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for a classic or a daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks, delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and the choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer best of all price at rock auto are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers so why spend up to twice as much for the same parts go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck and write locked on on their how'd you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts a car will ever need visit rockauto.com who are some other players here at at, uh, at the Leafs pick here late in the second round that you think would be quality quality guys who could potentially be there and fit nicely into the Maple Leafs pipeline?
1: I think one of the guys that uh, I think even some Leafs fans has kind of gotten a, a little bit of attraction to is Jack Barr because he played for Chicago Steel. Yeah. Ryan Hardy just joined the front office. Everyone kind of makes that connection pretty easily. And Jack Barr's a really good defenseman. He's another guy I was able to interview this year. Um, I, I really liked his mindset on when to kind of contribute to the offensive game because he wasn't the star blue liner on that team. He, he kind of flew under the radar a little bit. And I think he's a guy that he, he's able to contribute at both ends of the ice. He's a really mobile player. He brings a physicality element to the game that I really like. And it's not a needless physicality. And, and I've talked about that before on here with with other players where guys chase hits. He's not a guy that chases hits. He's a guy that will rub you out along the boards and take the puck and, and move it real, real quick and efficiently. I think he's a guy that plays the modern physical defensive game. I think uh, we we watch Jake Muzzin a lot of times and we go, man, that's such a good defenseman. He's just so reliable back there. And I think Jack Barr has some of that in him. I think they play a similar style of game defensively and and even offensively where every once in a while, Jake Muzzin will do something. You're like, oh, wow, that was a sneaky, good offensive play. And I think Jack Barr has the same kind of instincts in his game. So I think he's a really interesting player. And another player I really like in that range that I I don't know if he's going to get there because there's been a ton of hype on him recently is is olin zelo zellweger who played for Ever- everett in the whl we saw him at the world under 18s for canada he's this incredibly skilled skating defenseman he's got so much skill in his game he he can deke dangle just spin spinorama like it, there's so much fun in his game and he screams kyle Dubas. he's an unders- undersized defenseman who plays a skilled game and, and i think that's something that we all love watching and the, the the skating on this kid is just unreal like the, the way he's able to carve up the ice the way he's able to kind of maneuver around the ice and his puck skills play up and i think he's a really good playmaker too he's a guy that you could picture on an NHL power play in, in the second round and go man like that's a realistic position for him but <laughs> there's a lot of hype on him and, and and i think he is kind of moving up boards and we're starting to see him kind of get closer to the first round so maybe that's not a guy that, that ends up reaching that spot but if he does Man, like, that, that's a guy I'd love to see in, in Toronto.
0: Well, I think there's, you know, it, it's interesting because if you remember last year, you know, a lot of really skilled, smallish-skilled players fell and dropped because they were going after size a lot early and often in the second round especially early in the second round and late in the first round it really seemed like a a priority in the second and third round was for teams they're really drafting to get size because you look at you know what the the past few championship teams have done and these teams that are going deep into the playoffs It's been all about size, size, size. So, you know, it's funny when you look at a guy like Olin Zellweger, you know, kind of undersized player, skilled defenseman. These are the guys who were falling last year. I'll be curious to see if that trend continues uh, into this season as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that definitely could happen because a guy that I think is high on a lot of boards that I haven't ranked all year, Roman Schmidt. He's a good skater, really huge defenseman, and he reminds me a lot of Tyler Clevin from last year who yeah. Ottawa traded up for with Toronto to draft. And I don't think that's a guy Toronto's going to really target because he doesn't fit the style of play they play. Uh, honestly, I don't know if he's really going to be an nhl or I think he's a good junior-age player. I think he'll be a good college kid, but there, there's a lot to go in his game to develop to get to the NHL level of skill and everything. So I think teams are going to trade up for guys like that, a guy like Oliver Kapanen, who's a not necessarily a huge center but he's a guy that is is a stockier kind of plays a a physical game samuel helenius is a guy that i think a lot of people have ranked around 50 60 70 80 even and he could go in the first round because he's six foot six 210 pounds and he plays a high-end defensive game i think teams are going to look at that and go all right well that's an nhl player we're going to throw him on our third line and not have to worry and and i think that's a true thing you could do that in a couple years throw him in your third line and not have to worry but how much upside are you willing to give up to get guys like that and i think they're perfectly good players but I'd rather take a guy like Jack Barr. I'd rather take a guy like Olin Zellweger who can kind of contribute at both ends of the ice and not necessarily just be the big guy. Who do you think goes first? Zellweger or Danil Sheika? Danil Sheika. I, I think there's a weird
0: obsession with Danil Sheka, despite my fat my well, kind he, of He's got that not, size, right? He's got that, that, yeah. that good size that that, you know, NHL front offices want in a defenseman now.
1: Yeah, and he played at the pro level this year. He played a lot of KHL level this year, so he's going to get credit for that. Even though I I don't think he played well at all, Um, there there there's some offensive upside. People think because of his game in in, uh, Guelph last year in the OHL, and and I think he was the uh, a perfect example of a guy who was a very good junior player. So he was putting up points, but realistically that's not an offensive defenseman. And I think that's kind of where he sits. So I, I think a team is going to draft him because they're going to go, we-, we need that defensive guy. Every hockey man loves the good defensive player. And, and I think he's going to be a guy that goes higher than old Olin Zellweger because he's a small undersized defenseman. Those are the guys, those are the exact guys that fall.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of, of scouting, uh, you know, this year had to have been, kind of more difficult than any other year. Would you agree with that or like whoa. when you were defense when you were scouting this year did you come across any difficulties from this season that maybe you hadn't had previously? I think for me, it wasn't a huge adjustment because I've been in
1: ranks and stuff the last couple of years, but I I do do a lot of video work as it is because I can't get to Russia. I can't go to the world juniors when it's in Czech Republic and stuff. So it's like I have to do a lot of video as it is. So I'm used to it. And the thing I incorporated this year that that I'm sure teams were doing as well was a ton of Zoom calls, a ton of like calls with guys that you're just doing little interviews with, even if it's whether for a podcast or just to talk to these guys to get a a frame of mind where they're at on certain things. And there were a ton of guys that I did that with this year. So I think that the one thing that I gained this year was the fact that these players were kind of made so much more easily accessible through things like that. So I think hopefully that goes forward. But yeah, getting back into ranks, it's going to be nice to get a go see these players face to face, get a sense of what's going on at the rink in the little moments and stuff. So you definitely lost some things this year. But I think when you watch a guy once on tape or uh, live, you go to a game, you take three and a half hours, three hours to be at the game, depending on where the game's at. So you drive 45 minutes there and back. So you're, you're dedicating five hours to this game. Whereas when you're at home, if you want to watch a game, a lot of times you can watch it on a replay. You can, in that five hours, you can squeeze five, six games in there. And that's something where you go, all right, like I, I can get a slight advantage if you look at it certain ways. And I, I think, man, it, it's all about the way you're coming at it and what perspective you come at it with. I think, we saw earlier this year where, where a lot of scouts were saying, Oh, video scouting's for birds. I remember Ryan uh from the <laughs> hockey news tweeted that out. And that was one of the, like the weirdest things for me because I'm like, just take advantage of the tools you have because every tool that you have should be taken into account. And in this year, yeah, you had the the live views taken away, but you were gifted all of these extra games that you were able to watch on video. You were gifted the fact that instead of seeing a guy ten times, you were able to see him twenty five. So I think you were able to gain advantages, but the in-person viewings are going to be important because you do get a feel for the game. You get, you get to talk to these guys face-to-face, and, and that is something that's going to come back. But I do think NHL teams are going to go, we're going to still incorporate a lot more video
0: skating than we previously did. I think that that that's fair. So, like, there were some positives that came out of it. But, I mean, for some of these players who either haven't really played much competitive hockey in 16 months or haven't played any at all, right? Like some yep. of them did end up. Some, of, especially in Canada, where the OHL just never ended up getting up and running. The QMJHL they they played a, a good portion of their season, and then the WHL had like a small portion of their season. But there was no playoffs. There was no final mem-, mem Cup. Like, how did you go about doing that type of like scouting those guys, the ones who haven't played much hockey comparatively to the ones who had more full seasons down in the states or over in? In in Europe, I think much like NHL teams, you, you go on what you had from last year, you go on the limited
1: stuff that you have from this year. I think the World Under Teams were really important for a lot of OHL guys. You look at a guy like Ben Goudreau, who is a second, third round talent as a goalie, maybe a fourth round talent, but because he didn't play it all this year for Sarnia, you were concerned. You're like, well, what what has he done in this last sixteen months? Yeah, you you just don't know. So him going to the World Under Teams and showing that he's still that goalie that was putting up fifty Saber performances in the OHL. And, and he's showing that he's still a goalie that can make all the saves and, and still has the form and the athleticism, that that was a really encouraging sign. And that you got to try to do that with those guys. And there were a ton of OHL guys that went to Europe. That's awesome. Getting the, those views is important too. But th- there was definitely guys that didn't get any OHL, OHL time. You look at a guy like Ty Voigt, played for Sarnia, and he was an undersized player last year. He was only five foot eight. But this year, there's reports that he's grown to six feet tall even. And, and if if that's the case, even if he's 5'11", he becomes a much more interesting player at the draft because now you don't have to worry about that size as much. Now you don't have to worry about that. But do you? Because you haven't seen him use that size on the ice. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of questions. And I think what ends up happening is you go, I want this guy at 25. And then you're looking at your rankings and you're like, well, I've seen this guy play and I've seen the progression he's made. So that guy that you originally wanted at 25 ends up at 45 or 35. And, and you just kind of go, I have to mitigate the risk somewhere. And I think what's going to happen is the last couple of rounds of this draft, I think teams are just going to be throwing darts at the OHL and going, I hope I get a player out of these guys. And I think we're going to see it. Maybe a couple extra steals later, late in this draft from the OHL, because yeah, we didn't get to see guys like Ryan Winterton develop. We didn't get to see these guys show off what they were able to do in the last couple of months. And, and maybe there was just a guy that needed to bulk up and this 16 months was the best thing for him. So it's going to be really interesting to see how teams treat the OHL.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say maybe this means that we'll have more diamonds in the rough that will be found here in the later rounds of the draft than we normally do, and you know, which for the Maple Leafs, I think works out well because they only have one pick in the first four rounds, mm-hmm. and then they only have their fifth and sixth. So that if they can find some diamond in the rough in you know rounds five and round six with their deep level scouting that they have in their department, maybe they will end coming out uh, end up coming out with with some quality quality. Quality talent to add to this prospect pool.
1: Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility, especially bringing in a guy like Ryan Hardy. I think he's a guy that you can go, all right, man. Like you've been around the USHL all yeah. year. What, who's a guy that really impressed you last year? In, in, in who's on the board? Like is Jack Bar on the board in the fifth round? Like that's a possibility, I think, because it's the USHL. He he only played a, not a full season in the USHL. He he's a guy that was the fourth fifth defenseman on that team. So you're like. What is his ceiling? Can he get to that point? A, a guy like Alexi Hamel Selmy, He's a guy that played in Europe all year, played in this, this league. His real coming out party was the U 18s. And, but before that, not many people have really talked about him a whole lot. So our NHL team is going to hype up that U 18s the way that fans are. He's still five eleven defenseman. You have questions there. Like, I think there's a lot of guys that could fall in this draft, whether or not they played or, or not, but man, it's going to be a fun draft to kind of see where things go because, I've said it a few times, I think this draft is going to be very much teams going, all right, this guy and this guy are pretty even, but this guy plays our style of game. So we're going to take him. And if that happens, you could see a few guys fall pretty far in this draft and and a team like Toronto or Tampa
0: take advantage. Absolutely. And, and I mean, let's let's cross our fingers and hope that it happens, Tony, because the, the least prospect pool is, well, quite barren. Uh, I guess you could say uh you know what we'll we'll leave this conversation there. we'll definitely get a have to get you on to talk about some of the guys who end up getting snagged up after the draft and then we could see where they rank in terms of the rest of the uh you know the rest of the the talent in the prospect pool but uh we'll 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 cut this off right here um Tony, thank you so much for joining me and hey, Enjoy the draft tonight. This will be the first time in a while you've been able to watch it as a fan. So I hope you you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I'll be tweeting everything out and stuff. But yeah, it's nice not to have to do a a day of draft article or anything. It's a, (laughs) a little bit of a nice little free
0: agency perk I've got going on right now. Well, we did speak, and it sounds like uh, you you did say that you will come on to our Locked on NHL live stream show. So uh, now that it's out there on the waves, everyone's going to be expecting it, and you can't pull pull back now. You, now, now you got to join us. It has to happen. I will pop in with you in Berkshire, and I will talk
1: about how bad the Leafs pick is when it happens, or how, <laughs> how,
0: how much I, I laugh when Ottawa traded
1: up to draft R- R- Roman Schmidt.
0: That 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 would be fantastic if that happens. But uh, Leafs without a first rounder, as we all know, and. So I don't unless they trade back into the first round, probably won't even be able to talk much about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But plenty of other action will be going on. Even, even you know, there's still so much going on in the NHL. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of trade rumors that could potentially happen. You know, we t- we talked about the Jack Eichel rumor, but you know, Seth Jones is out there who could potentially mm-hmm. be moved at the at the at the deadline. Like there are a lot of guys who could potentially find their way into new cities. I actually heard a really interesting rumor. And since you're a draft guy, and I know how much you believe in in the, the value of draft picks, and first-round picks specifically, I don't know if you heard this, but I was listening to 31 Thoughts today on my way into work, and I heard that Jeff Merrick said he's been told that Nick Delorier could potentially fetch a first-round pick from a team late in the first why that's what i said that's what <laughs> nice. i said I'm like okay. what nick delorier and he's like yeah no they protected him in the expansion draft for a reason clearly he's got value i'm like no i think the that team just stinks and they didn't have anyone else to keep like a first rounded for nick to De- taylor hall only got a second who's gonna pay up a first for nick delorier
1: I, I, if that's the case, I think the Leafs should put Justin Hall in the trade block and get a first and like maybe a prospect. But I don't know, let's yeah, see.
0: Exactly. We, you get. What you, oh, I, I thought it was interesting. So I was like, let, let's ask Tony, a draft guy, if he thinks that a first round pick is the same capital as a uh, as a Nick Delori. But watch this happen. It, it's going to happen tonight, and we're going to eat our words. I will legitimately uh, take a take a bite of my hat tonight i'm not gonna literally eat it like some people have made that i'll take a bite of my hat if that ends up happening and uh have a little nibble on it just I'll, basically will the nhl because that's the most nhl thing ever for nick glory to go for a first because why not oh if that's the case i mean toronto move on I mean, then wayne simmons should garner a first round pick <laughs> like realistically oh, man. You know, what a beautiful <laughs> what a beautiful game hockey is. I know, I know. But all of that will go down tonight. I'm super excited for the for the draft. I know you are as well. And once again, uh, thanks so much, Tony, for joining us. You can catch him on Twitter. He will be uh well, going through it as we are as fans, and he'll be live tweeting all of his thoughts and, and whatnot. You can check him out at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. Tony, thanks so much for joining. No problem. Thanks for having me, buddy. And that's gonna do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. Hit subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. And once again, follow Tony at the Tony. Ferrari. Uh, I'll be back with another episode on Monday. We'll be going over the Leafs draft and talking about the prospects and talking about what else happened at the draft and the other movements as we head into the offseason because then free agency is only a couple of days away after that. It's crazy. Everything's coming so quickly here, but uh, we'll do all of that next week, but enjoy the draft tonight and keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.